Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Maybe that's a word for somebody here tonight. You're very discouraged and your discouragement has given way to despair. God never faults you for despair. Despair is the reality and the end of things. You know, we talk about in the secular terms, ignorance is bliss. Well, think about the opposite of that. The more you know, the one who increases in knowledge also increases in sorrow. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. If we find ourselves in a point of despair, God will not hold it against us. In fact, some of the challenges which we will allow throughout our lives, He will allow, knowing their outcome will result in despair. Pastor J.D. teaches us, though, that we're expected to continue in our faith in spite of this. We're to use despair as means to build our faith more. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, verse 1, Job chapter 3. After this, now I want (laughs) to... mentioned since it's been a couple of weeks when when we read after this after what well after seven days of complete silence uh and job is sitting there and he is scraping his boils which were told had covered his body the entirety of his body from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and he's sitting in an ash heap, which was actually where the rubbish was burned. That's the condition that we see him in. Now, we were also introduced to his three friends, who to their credit, in all fairness, had come to see and comfort and encourage their good friend Job, who they had heard about what had happened. What happened? Well, uh, he had 10 children that all within a very short period of time were killed. All of his livestock was gone, which was all of his wealth. Um, everything was gone. And this because God had allowed Satan, given permission to Satan to take everything from him, believing that in the end, this is what Satan was challenging God with that in the end that Job would curse God. And God says, no, he won't, but go ahead. You'll see. And he doesn't. This after he takes everything from Job. Then Satan comes back into and approaches the throne and challenges God again, saying, well, you know, uh, skin for skin. He, nothing happened to him. He lost everything. So let me uh, start uh, touching his body and uh, his health, and he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, go ahead. And he did, and he wasted no time. And he went right up to the line that God had given him permission to, and he struck Job with this 
unbelievable and even indescribable uh, condition that left him unable to do anything but sit there and uh, just scrape and itch, and they were painful, and they were, I don't want to be too graphic, but we're told in the text that they were filled with pus, and these were very painful uh, sores. And so his friends arrive, and for seven days they're sitting with Job, and nobody says a word for seven days and seven nights. So now we pick it up here in chapter 3, and we read these first two words, and the first two words are, after this, after the seven days, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. So, We start off the chapter with Job's battle just beginning. This is a battle that is beginning now in his mind and in his soul. Because up to this point, Job has been processing this unbelievable fate that has befallen him outwardly. And now he's going to open his mouth. And he's going to give voice to his utter despair. And he's going to express himself inwardly. What he's thinking about. What's going on in his mind and his in his heart. Um, I think it's starting to sink in. I mean, you really think about this. And it's probably within the span of maybe a couple of weeks where all of this has happened. And now he's in this condition physically. He's just lost everything. And now he is completely given over to despair. Oswald Chambers, and I mentioned this when we first started the study of the book of Job, has written a fantastic book called Baffle to Fight Better. It's actually a, a commentary of sorts on the book of Job. And I mentioned that I'm going to be quoting from it uh, often throughout our study, and the reason is is because God has really used this uh, in my life over the years in a really powerful way. And I want to share with you something that he said concerning despair, and this has been, for me, a lifesaver during those times when I've been in uh, despair myself. Listen to what he says about this. He says, facing facts as they are produces despair. Not frenzy, but real downright despair. And God never blames a man for despair. Wow. The man who thinks must be pessimistic. Thinking can never produce optimism. The wisest man, speaking of Solomon, that ever lived, said that He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The basis of things is not reasonable, but wild and tragic. And to face things as they are brings a man to the ordeal of despair. And such is the case with Job here. He has been brought face to face with things as they are. 
and he is in that place of utter and total despair, and God doesn't hold that against him. Listen, maybe that's a word for somebody here tonight. You're very discouraged, and your discouragement has given way to despair. God never faults you for despair. Despair is the reality and the end of things. You know, we talk about in the secular terms, ignorance is bliss. Well, think about the opposite of that. The more you know, the one who increases in knowledge also increases in sorrow. And here is a man now that is in the pit of despair and sorrow. Verse 4, he's going to continue now. He says, of that day he was born, that he's cursing. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, verse 6, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. I wish it didn't even exist. May it not come into the number of months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. This is an interesting reference because the belief in that day was a myth in that day. They would have these chanters that would chant and try to arouse Leviathan to actually pronounce curses and even remove days from the calendars of the year. And so he's, he's, he's not saying he believes in that. He's just saying, I, I wish they would have removed the day I was born as those who arouse Leviathan do. Verse 9, may the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none, and not see the dawning of the day. Because, verse 10, it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves. Please know, and let me just kind of parenthetically and quickly say, that Job is in no way suggesting what some teach as soul sleep. In other words, I wish I would have never been born. I wish I would have slept with those in death. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The best way I ever heard it explained, and maybe this is as good of a time as any to uh, use this illustration again, but the best way I ever heard the question answered as to what happens when we die was this way. Okay, we're triune in nature. We're made in the image of God. God is triune in nature. Body, we're made body, soul, and spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, when we die, we're like a, a light bulb. A light bulb, when it is expired, it we take it out of the socket, we put it into the rubbish, and then it gets taken to the dump, and it's 
dust to dust, goes back to where it came from. The electricity that once brought uh, light to that bulb goes back to its source. And the light that was created by that bulb and the electricity uh, ceases to give light. Now here's how that all connects. The bulb is our body. When we die, our body goes into the ground from where it was created, dust to dust. The electricity is our spirit. It goes back to the source. If we're redeemed by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, then we go in spirit to be absent from the body. We're present with the Lord in spirit. We go to the source. That soul, that light that was created when body and spirit were uh, united, no longer exists until the bodily resurrection. It's the body that sleeps. The bodily resurrection, when the body is raised, and at the rapture, we who are alive and remain, will, as Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15 says, we will put off corruptible, our physical fleshly bodies. This is going to happen very quickly. and I can't wait until I get my new body because I've already put in my order for my new body. I've got a few things I want to have this time around for all eternity. But um, we put off our old bodies corruptible and we put on our new glorified bodies incorruptible, our eternal bodies. And when we get our new glorified body, the dead in Christ rise first. They get their new bodies. My daughter Noel, she will have a new body. She's present with the Lord in spirit. Her body we had uh, uh, cremated and we have it in an urn in our uh, home with us. It's ashes, you know, all dust to dust, ashes to ashes. The body, I, gotta, I was asked this question, I might as well just quickly. The, the, the question is, uh, is it sin to uh, cremate? No. What about in the Old Testament where, uh, you know, the, the pagans practice the burning of the bodies? Okay. Uh, that has no application in terms of uh, cremation modern day. And by the way, um, when, you, when you bury a body, <laughs> it's going to end up dust and ashes anyway. Cremation just expedites that process. And so uh, one asks, well, uh, what about when the bodily resurrection comes and here you just got this pile of ash? Are you kidding me? You don't think God can resurrect that uh, ash in that, you know, state? How about bodies that were burned in fire? How about where we read in Revelation where the sea gave up its dead, those who perished at sea? Those bodies will be resurrected and they will put on their new bodies before us. And then we who are alive and remain then get our new bodies. And then once our new bodies are reunited with our the dead in Christ, their spirit, then they're a living soul, light, if you will, for all eternity. And that's the best way that I heard it explained. I hope that uh, helps for those of you who are wondering about that. Some of you had uh, no idea that I was going to get way off on that. So where were we here? Back to our Bible study already in progress. I think verse 15. So he's saying, not talking about soul sleep here. So verse 15, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or verse 16, why was I not hidden like a stillborn child? 
like infants who never saw light. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there are the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God Has hedged in. For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Wow, that's pretty dark, yeah? It's pretty uh, depressing. So, a couple thoughts first of which has to do with what Job is expressing here. One of the reasons I shared the Chambers quote about God never faulting anybody for despair is because that is going to be paramount to our understanding and germane to what we're going to be looking at here. God is not holding any of this against him. Uh, He'll never curse God, but he does curse the day he was born. And God's not going to hold that against him. I mean, can you blame him? Can you blame him after what has happened to him? He is not, in cursing the day he was born, he has not sinned against God. And God does not hold this against him. Here's another thought. Job has no idea what God is doing. He's still clueless. Well, you say, uh, wasn't Job the author of the book? Well, okay. Some believe he was. I personally believe that he was the author of the book, but he hasn't written the last chapter yet. Oh, by the way, there are 42 chapters, and we're only in chapter uh, four right now. So we got a long ways to go. <laughs> and by the way, as we're about to see, I think it's from chapter four on through verse 31, it's It's just going to be all about this. So uh, you're going to have to be patient for the next how many weeks as we go. Oh, I wish that there weren't that many chapters, but there are. But here's the thing. In due time, he'll realize what it is that God was doing. Now, why do I mention that? Because sometimes the suffering can be so intense that we wish God would just take us. Job clearly wants, he's cursing the day he was born, he's wishing that he were dead, and we're going to see this more in the chapters that follow. He's just going to wish that God would just, in fact, there's one place where he says, oh, I wish that God would give me the thing I desire the most, death. It's almost like God is being cruel by keeping me alive. See, he will see what it is that God is going to do. He's going to realize yet future why God didn't take his life, and he's going to be so thankful that God didn't hear his prayer and take his life. Well, 
Let's um, talk about chapter 4 real quick. I need to sort of warn you that, again, from this chapter, chapter 4 all the way through to chapter 31, is going to be riddled with Job's friends falsely accusing him of basically having sin in his life. They're going to cite this as the reason that God has deemed it fit to severely discipline him. And he's a hypocrite. And we're going to get a taste of that now, starting here in chapter 4. There's going to be this constant barrage of false accusations and attacks. And Job is going to try unsuccessfully to defend himself and also to defend God. It won't be until the end when God will have the final word. And boy, does he. And we'll see that hopefully by the end of the study tonight. So chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to start off with Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, verse 2, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Meaning that Job was the one who was always counseling and helping and encouraging people. It says, verse 4, your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees, but now... It comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. You know what he's saying here? Oh, it's kind of clever, maybe even tactful, you might say. But he's, he's asking rhetorically, really, Hey, Job, Job can, I, can I talk? Can I, can, I, can I say something to you? Can I, can I be honest with you? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. If Job would have said no, he was going to do it anyway. It's like, you know, I, I just can't be quiet anymore. I just got to, I got to, I got to say this to you. And then he proceeds to basically tell him that he needs to practice what he preaches. Oh, wow. We're off to a great start here. Verse six, is not your reverence, your confidence and the integrity of your ways, your hope. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent. Ah, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor J.D.'s teaching in the book of Job. There's much more to learn, but sadly, that's all the time we have for on today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Subscribe to our podcast while you're there and receive new messages as soon as they're made available. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, ready to listen to whenever and wherever you go. 
You'll find a link to the app at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Keep up to date with the Midi's Prophecy Updates with our mobile app as well. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. shares current world events and how they relate to the end-time prophecies found in the Bible. The information provided is intended to stir in us an urgency to share the good news of Jesus before He returns to judge the world. There's so much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. Find out more on our YouTube channel at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in next time to keep studying through Job on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old way.